Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. I want to thank each and every one of you at both of our physical campuses, Highland Colony and Lakeland, and then for everyone who's watching online and our CBS campus, uh, your generosity in this season has just been through the roof, and it has allowed us to complete so many projects, including the one that you saw on the screens there, our brand new parking lot. We have all the asphalt in at the church, all the fresh lines of paint. I made my wife go out there the other day. I'm like, look at it. And she's like, what? I'm like, look at it. And she's like, what am I? I'm like, the asphalt. I'm like, it's just so clean looking. Look at it. And so we just celebrated the goodness of God. How many of you know that our great God is a finisher? That he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Why? Because Jesus is a finisher, and that just simply means if you get in faith and you stay in faith, you're going to see Jesus finish whatever project you put before him. He finished our parking lot. He finished our LED screens. He finished, come on now, somebody, right? How many of you know if he did it for us, he'll do it for you? Because we have a finisher, and I just want to encourage you, let faith, we just sang about it, it's easy to sing about it. It's harder to live it sometimes. Let faith rise up in you and believe to see Jesus finish something. How many of you believe Jesus could finish something by the end of this year? That even something that just looks impossible, that our great God can finish it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. On the screens are going to the book of James And we're going to look at James chapter 4 and verse number 7 on the screens. I want to encourage everyone who's watching online or CBS, go get a Bible. Uh, Open up your Bibles with us today. I really believe, like we prayed, that the Holy Spirit's going to just show you something out of the Word of God that is going to enlighten you and bring you, hopefully, peace. In James chapter 4 and verse 7 on the screens, it says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Do you see the absolute there? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you see, submit to God, resist the devil. In fact, why don't we all say that together? Say, submit to God, resist the devil. That's my job description as a Christian. Like, that's that's it in a nutshell. I am to submit to God and I am to resist the devil. Years ago, I heard John Maxwell teach, and he said this statement always stood with me. He said, if I could kick the person in the behind who caused me the most pain in this life, I would not be able to sit down for a week. Uh, have you ever felt that way before? That it's like we've had life cause us pain. Maybe tragedy has caused you pain. Last week, we talked about people causing us pain. Uh, But I would say most of us in this room could echo what John Maxwell said, that if there is anything or anyone who's caused us pain in life, it has been us, Uh, that we bought it, right? Have you ever bought something, it's like you're looking at the credit card statement later, it's like, why? Like, 
Why? Like you caused yourself that financial pain. Have you ever caused yourself physical pain because of the way you cooperated in your body or operated in your body that because of what you ate or because of what you did, now I've got physical pain in my body because I brought myself pain. Uh, How many of you know you dated it? Like, you, you dated it. Like, and you knew not to date it, but you dated it anyway. And because you dated it, now there may be relational pain there. And it was, you know, it was them, but it was also you. Like, you knew kind of not to go in that relationship, but you dated them. And in all of our lives, we have felt that way. I was talking to someone even right before I came out, and they were saying, like, this morning, they were just kind of wrestling with just some inward frustration of, like, why don't I fill in the blank? Like, have you ever felt regret? Regret is when you cause yourself harm. Uh, Shame, that's when you cause yourself harm. Guilt, that's when you have caused yourself harm. And each one of us, I, I think, have felt this temptation to ask ourselves, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I stop spending? Why can't I stop eating? Why can't I stop watching that? Why can't I stop looking at that? Why can't I stop, fill in the blank, what is wrong with me? This is a universal problem. This is not something that is just particular to you. This is something that I felt. This is something that every person in this room has felt. This was something that the Apostle Paul felt. He writes in the book of Romans, and he said, the thing that I want to do and know to do, I find myself not doing that thing. And the thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing I find myself doing. And this man wrote three-fourths of the New Testament from like a, a page standpoint. And he's still saying, like, I still wrestle with me. And he said, oftentimes through my wrestle with me, I ask myself, what's wrong with me? And he went as far as to say, the King James says, what a wretched person I am. He's disappointed in himself. He is hurt because of what he is doing. He is hurting because of what he has left undone. And he's facing this hurt that has been self-inflicted. And what I want to show you today is something through Scripture that if you can see it through this lens entirely changes that narrative. And if you truly see it, can bring so much lasting freedom to you and your family. How many of you know Jesus came to set us free and whom the Son has set free is free indeed? That I am not designed by God to be in bondage to anything. Jesus has come to set me free. Now watch this scripture here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. We're going to look at 8 and 9. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's read verse 8 again. For by grace are you saved, delivered, transformed, rescued through faith. It's not of you. You didn't do it. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anybody could boast. Now, here's what he's describing. He says, I understand that in our human condition, 
we live in this framework of I've got to do better. You ever felt that way? I've got to be better. Have you ever woke up one week and it's like, I've got to eat better. Have you ever decided that? Maybe that's just me. Uh, but it's like, oh, I've got to do better. Uh, or maybe like we're approaching the end of a year and it's like you get to a new one. And it's like, I've got to be better. I've got to do better at spending. I, I've got to do better at time management. I've got to look at my phone less. I've got to get off Facebook more. Like, I've got to be better and through my works, I'll be delivered. And that if I can be better, I'll be freer. And the human condition from the fall of man has been for man to rescue himself. Uh, so out of this, if I do better, I'll be saved. If I'll do better, I'll be delivered. And so we go on this trail to become better, to do better. And the problem with this is, is works makes you the hero of your story. And here's what I mean by that. When you live a works-based life, works makes you the hero of your story. So we live in a society that majors on like heroes. And it's not just superheroes, it's people we put on pedestals and we esteem their results and we wanna know their works that led to that result. So it's like, what'd you do to grow your business? And so the hero comes in and he's like, I'll tell you what I did. She'll come in and she'll say, I'll tell you what I did and sell a book based off of five ways I turned this company around. Here's the works that I did to bring deliverance to the organization. Uh, well, how did you get a man? How did you land a man? And so a magazine cover will come out, five ways in which I attracted Mr. Wright. And it's like, let me find out what they did. And it, it, they become the hero of the story, and they're going to teach me the works I must do in order to land Mr. Wright. Uh, or, you know, what I did to lose 17 pounds. And it, it'll be on the cover of men's health or lady fitness or whatever it may be and it's like well let me dive into the works that they performed to get the deliverance that not only they wanted but I want because works will make you the hero of the story Here's the issue with this, is whenever we live by this paradigm and whenever ever we, we come into this thinking of it's by works, I'll be delivered, it always leads to heroes, puts them on pedestals, which always leads to pride. And it becomes the spiritual equivalent of the prodigal son, not the prodigal who left, but the prodigal who stayed. He's looking at his works, and through looking at his works of perfection, he's saying, I should be getting better results from this. And not only is he saying, I should get better results from my works, but off of doing these works, and then I look at someone else who's not producing the, these works, I now see myself as better than them, and it always leads to pride. Because how many of you know, 
Scripturally speaking, there's only one hero to this story, and it is not Joel Sims, it is not you, it is not your husband, it is not your wife, it's not David, it's not Peter, it's not Paul. Who is the hero of the biblical story? It is Jesus. Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our deliverance. And somebody says, well, what what about self-control? I have self-control, but it's from Jesus. Well, what about getting more joy in a marriage? I have joy, but it's from Jesus. How did you turn that marriage around? Jesus taught me forgiveness. Jesus taught me to make allowances. Jesus came and changed my personality that by his grace I have been delivered. By his grace I have been transformed through my submission to God. I have now walked in freedom because I found a hero, and his name is Jesus. I told this story a couple of weeks ago, uh, but man, it's just been coming up in my heart the the whole week. And so even though I told it a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to tell it again this morning. (laughs) I sat across from a a guy uh, who I had not seen in a while at a restaurant, and he said, Pastor Joel, I have just been so bad. And he said that multiple times. I've been so bad. I mean, he had been so bad and asking so strongly what is wrong with me that it has led to him being this strong man, incredibly emotional in the middle of a restaurant. Because he's wanting to know, why can't I be good? And the reason why we feel this way is because Works not only turns me into the hero of the story, works also turns me into the villain of the story. Because I'm looking at all these people who in his mind are good based off their performance. And because I haven't been able to do what they do, I'm now bad. I'm the villain of my story. And he's like, I just don't know what I can do. I know to do the right things, but I find myself not doing it. I know to go to church, but I'm not coming. I knew to call you, but I didn't call you. I I knew not to be around these people, but I'm finding myself around these people. And I just don't know what's wrong with me and why I've been so bad. And the whole time he's talking, I'm checking my heart. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, like, you're going to have to help me. Why? Because I'm not the hero of his story either. He doesn't need quick wit. He doesn't need guidance from me. He needs a word from the Holy Spirit. So I just take the time to center in my heart. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need you to speak. And he said, he's a baseball player, right? The Holy Spirit just on the inside. While he's talking, the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. He's a baseball player, right? I'm like, yes. Not only is he a baseball he's a very good baseball player. Like, so good, he got a scholarship to go to college to play baseball. And one of the things that started his downward cycle is his injury. He got injured. And so his pitching arm kind of blew out. And here he is, he's, he's not good at pitching. And it's not because he's not good at pitching. He's very good at pitching. That's what got him the scholarship, right? Because he was good enough at pitching, it actually got him a scholarship that other kids wanted but couldn't because when they measured each other's good from an athletic standpoint, he was better. 
So his good was good enough to get him in that position. But when he gets hurt, if he tried to pitch, the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart about this, if he tried to pitch, would his performance be good or bad? And I'm like, well, it would be bad. And he's like, exactly. If he got up there to try to pitch, he would have no velocity. It would be bad pitching. But is it because he is bad? And I said, no, Lord. He said, what is he? I said, he's hurt. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, why is he calling bad what I call hurt? And I asked him that question. I told him what I just told you. I'm like, here you are constantly talking about how bad you've been at life. But why are you calling bad what God calls hurt? I'm like, if you went out with that bad shoulder, pitching shoulder, and you constantly just said, I'm going to work my way through this, and just pitched and pitched, and I need better mechanics. Let me read more books on pitching. Let me hire more pitching coaches. Let me spend more money on pitching. And you keep trying to pitch with a bad, hurt arm. What is going to happen? Are you going to get better or are you going to get worse? Worse. Because the bad are in the hurt don't need more practice. What do the hurt need? A healer. A hurt person needs a doctor. It needs someone to come in the story who says, no, 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 everything you've been doing to go about this is wrong. Here's a path to recovery, and it begins with your connection with me. And God comes into our life, and he's like, how long are you going to try to be good you are acting the way you're acting, not because you are bad, you are hurt, and off of that hurt, you are demonstrating bad behavior. You're not the hero, but you're not the villain either. You're not the hero, but you're not just this person who can't get it together either. There are millions of people who feel the exact way you feel right now. And what they need is a healer in their life. And so Jesus comes in and says, let me insert myself into your story. And if instead of you trying to just get the bad out of your life, what if you could just get so much God in your life that God begins to kick all the bad out? <laughs> Submit yourself to God. But just like I am not the hero of my story, I am not the villain either. The villain of the, the whole scriptural narrative is not humanity. And in our society, what we try to do is we find the bad people and we label them as villains because of what they are demonstrating is bad. And off of this, we completely ignore the hurt from their childhood, the hurt from their environment, the hurt from their wounds, and all we see is the bad behavior, not seeing that there is a villain behind the story. Did you know Adam and Eve weren't just bad people? 
Did, did you know they didn't just turn to each other and say, you know what, let's mess up the world, let's mess up our family, let's mess up every family that comes after us. Let's create an environment that's just filled with, with murder and, and, you know, chaos and take it all the way up to Noah's day until every uh, imagination in our hearts is wicked and violent before God. That it wasn't them making a decision to be bad, a villain came in the story. And his name was Satan. And you see that this figure called Satan, who epitomizes everything that is evil and anti-God, comes into the scriptural narrative, and the first revelation of Satan is he is a tempter. And this tempter comes into our lives and comes into Adam and Eve's lives, and he begins to sow thoughts, ideas, and suggestions into the heart of Adam and Eve until they find themselves doing the very thing that God told them not to do. And it wasn't that they're just bad. It was there is not just a hero trying to rescue Adam and Eve, but there is a villain trying to destroy Adam and Eve. And this villain comes to lure them into self-harm. To put them in a position where they are hurting themselves. And it's not just this intrinsic desire within Adam and Eve that wants that fruit. It is an outside force that is luring them to it. And if you can understand this, you can understand how to end bad behavior in your life. But you can also begin to take authority to end bad behavior in your family, in your relatives' lives, in our nation, when we can understand this point, it changes everything. Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter's about to make the worst mistake he's ever made. He's going to deny Jesus three times. And when you look at this, and and this is what just, you, you read the story and it breaks your heart for Peter. Because he's out here denying Jesus three times, not even fully cognitively aware of what he's doing until he locks eyes with Jesus. And when he locks eyes with Jesus, you know what he feels? Bad. Because he saw that Jesus saw him sinning like that. And at the root of a works-based life, When I have done everything right, I get filled with pride and become the hero of my story. But so oftentimes, that's so incredibly rare that I don't do everything right. I fall into patterns where I'm doing everything wrong. And when I fall into these patterns when I'm doing everything wrong, I know it's not just me watching me, but especially if I'm a Christian, I know Jesus is watching me. And so Peter begins to forsake his hopes, his dreams, his call. He begins to forsake his discipline. He stops being a disciple. He goes back to fishing. And when you look at this, it's like, golly, Peter was bad in that moment. But you know what Jesus saw? Long before Peter ever did it, Jesus was in prayer. And he saw something Peter never did see. He came to Peter and he said, I've been praying for you. He said, the whole time I'm praying for you, I see Satan is trying to sift you like wheat. And when you're converted, Peter, I want you to be saved not only from this, but I want you to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was not just Peter being bad, it was Satan, the villain, luring him over into that behavior. 
And his biggest mistake was not his mistake. His biggest mistake was not resisting the devil. Because my job description for healing, moving from hurt to whole personally, is I need to move God in my life by submitting to God, and I need to stand up and know it is not just me being crazy, undisciplined, and undignified. There is a thief out there. His name is the devil, and he is trying to take my life in a direction that hurts me. I must resist him. You see this play out over and over again. Let's, let's look at an example here in the book of John about Judas. How many of you know Judas did something oh, so bad? Like you look at what Judas did, it's like, Judas, come on, man. That is absolutely terrible. But did you know it wasn't just Judas being bad and making a decision to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver? Read what happens in Scripture. So it was during supper, Satan, having already put the thought of betraying Jesus and the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Now, was this thought something that just sprung up in Judas's life? No, it wasn't coming from Judas. It's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wreck my life today, be undisciplined, sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, feel so bad about it that I go out and use the silver to buy a field and hang myself. No, it was, there is a thief, Judas. There is someone who is bad. And he is trying to put something in your heart that not only hurts Jesus, but ultimately hurts you. And Judas, your biggest mistake is not selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Your biggest mistake is thinking you are the mistake and not resisting the devil. That if you can resist the devil and say, no, I'm not selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. No, that is crazy. Get behind me, Satan. You savor not the things that be of God, but you are only interested in the things of man. Knowing that there was an outside force luring him over into bad behavior. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 13, you see this here. They'll put it up on the screen. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4 on the screen. Next scripture, Acts chapter 5, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't 13 or 4, it's 5. Then Peter said, Ananias, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money received for the land? That there is a villain in the story, and it wasn't Ananias and Sapphira. Who was it? Who was the villain? The devil. What did the Bible tell you to do with the devil? Resist, uh, let's say it together today. Submit to God, resist the devil. Jesus is, you have to say this, Jesus is the hero. I need to submit to the hero. I need a healer. I need to bring Jesus in. But I also know that not only must I submit to God, but I need to open up my mouth and resist the devil. He is the villain. Now, I'll close with this. Let's go over the book of Matthew. You're in Ephesians. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and we'll close with this. We're going to look at the person who did this right. His name is Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, and let's look here in verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and for 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. That's how you know he's the Savior. Because I fast for four hours. <laughs> and after four hours, I am hungered. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus was hungered. Now, notice verse 3. 
Uh, in, in every translation that I saw, besides the New Living, it has this word. Verse, verse 3, and when the tempter, I've got that underlined and in parentheses, the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Now, what did James 4, 7 say? Submit to God and then do what? Resist the devil. So the tempter comes. When he comes to Adam and Eve, they listen to him. When he comes to Peter, Peter listens to him. When he comes to Ananias, Ananias listens to him. When he comes to Judas, he listens to him. When he comes to Jesus, watch what Jesus does. Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I've heard this said, that when people come to Jesus for the first time and get in a church like this, that it just seems like stuff starts to happen and it's not always good stuff. Like there's an initial attack. And you know why that is? Mark 4. Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you don't understand anything. He says, God, what he's trying to do in your life is sow the word of God in your life. Because he knows when he sows the word of God in your life, you begin to change. That if you begin to submit to God with that word, that you begin to take that word and ingest it, take that word and eat it, take that word and bring it into your life, and you submit to God, you are on the process of moving from hurt to whole. So he says, you know what happens as soon as that word is sown into your heart? Satan comes immediately for the word. That an enemy comes in your life to try to take that word out of your heart. There's a hero, his name is Jesus. There's a villain, his name is the devil. And I'm telling you, your kids aren't that bad. Listen to me. They're not that bad. You look at this world right now. There is a thief behind the show. And what we come in and do is we will use works to modify behavior. But what if it's not just behavior that needs to be modified? What if behavior needs to be modified through submission to Christ, but also that there is an enemy who's harassing them with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that they don't even know that is there, that is trying to lure them over into the wrong relationships, the wrong people, the, the wrong types of things doing with their money, the wrong types of things doing with their attitude, and somebody somewhere stands up and realizes, you know what, people just aren't that crazy. There must be a thief behind this, and we ultimately are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but there is something behind the scenes that is trying to disrupt people's lives and bring families, husbands, wives, and children over into a place of hurt, and we come in as the children of the Most High God and say, you know what? We know exactly what's going on here. They need a healer, and a devil needs to be resisted, and we stand up and we lift up our voice and say we will not be overcome by evil but instead we will overcome evil with good I put this in my notes I put this in my notes silence equals losing you want to lose to Satan you want to keep being bad 
You want to keep exhibiting bad behavior. You, you want to keep seeing your children go in the wrong direction. Silence, spiritually speaking, equals losing. Brother Kenneth E. Hagin said this. He said, if the devil can get you in the arena of reason, he will whip you every time. So that just simply means this. Here's what Satan wants. He wants you thinking about, how am I so bad? He wants you thinking about, why are they so bad? He wants you to think about what your kids are doing. And golly, it is so bad. What's going on in the nation is so bad. What's going on here is so bad. He wants you thinking about it. Because if he can get you in the arena of reason, he will whip you every single time. But Brother Hagin always would end with this. But if you can get the devil over in the arena of faith, you can whip the devil every single time. And you know what faith does? Faith opens its mouth. Faith opens its mouth. Faith says, no, devil. I'm not bowing my knee to this. No, devil. You're not going to have your way in Peter's life. No, devil. I'm praying for him right now. I'm opening up my mouth, and I believe he's going to see the salvation of God in the land of the living. Jesus resisted the devil. Isn't it something? Adam and Eve thought about it. Judas thought about it. Ananias and Sapphira thought about it. Jesus answered it. Why? He's the hero of the story. And the hero is trying to show you what to do. Resist the devil. When I see a child going in the wrong direction, it's not just bad behavior. They're being lured into that bad behavior. I've got to talk to the child, but I also have to resist the devil. A person's over in a funk, and they can't get out of the funk. They need the grace of God in their life, and somebody somewhere needs to resist the devil. A nation will go through turmoil, and yes, it needs better policy, and yes, it needs more submission to God, but somewhere along the line, the believers of God have to stand up and say, but we also resist the devil. I'm not going to have you lure our nation, lure our families, lure our children over into these things. I love David in the Old Testament. He comes up to this giant that's just been talking all this noise saying, I'm going to defeat you, and I'm going to destroy you, and who is your God? And you know what all the children of Israel are doing? Just listening to him. Operating in the arena of reason, getting whipped before they even stepped on the field. But here this young boy named David hears this Goliath saying all of these things. You know what David knows? He knows. I'm not the hero of this story. I can't fit in Saul's armor. I can't pick up his sword. I can't wear his helmet. I can't even carry his shield. It doesn't fit me. I am not the hero of the story. I'm not a man of war. I haven't been fighting with men my whole life. Like I'm just a child. I know this. But when he steps on the field and Goliath opens up his mouth, You know what David did? He got out of the arena of reason. He got over in the arena of faith. And when Goliath finally was quiet, he opened up his mouth and he answered him and said, you know what? You know what? I don't come against you with a sword and a spear. I don't come against you with a shield and armor. I don't come against you with all those things. I'm not the hero of this story, though. When you came against me, you came against someone who doesn't need a sword or a spear. You came against someone who has a covenant with God 
Almighty. And when he's done with you, I'm going to take your sword and I'm going to cut off your head because I know the God that I serve. He got over in the arena of faith. And when I'm saying for our children and over yourself, the devil wants you silent and controlled. He wants you silent and disappointed. He wants you silent and disappointed with your finances, silent and disappointed with your discipline, silenced and disappointed with your kids, silenced and disappointed with your family, silenced and disappointed with your health, silenced and disappointed with 2020, silenced and disappointed with all that's going on in life. And Jesus says, why don't you break out of that silence? And like Jairus, overhearing but ignoring, saying, I know that they're saying this, but whose report will we believe? We will believe the report of the Lord. His report says I am healed. His report says I am filled. His report says I have the victory. I believe the report of the Lord. And you know what? As you begin to give voice to that faith, you move yourself into pointing to who the hero actually is. You move yourself into a place where you are resisting the devil. I'm telling you, I sense this so big in my heart that the devil's at work in some, the lives of some young people. And he is trying to sift them like wheat. And you're looking at the behavior saying, how are they so bad? And God's coming through and saying, there may be some behavior there that needs to be modified, but there is someone who is luring them. And it's not just flesh and blood and you need to stand up and plead the blood of Jesus over that child and plead the blood of Jesus over that young person and say, no, you don't. And I love how Jesus did it. He didn't get up with the wind and the waves and be like, could you please go? Like if you could go, it would be great. He didn't go up to the the fever on Peter's mother-in-law and be like, if you could just leave now, it would be wonderful if you could just go. But I love what Jesus did. The Bible says he got up on the bow of that boat and he rebuked the storm and said, you leave this place. Peace be still. And I'm telling you what our family and our nation, and if you're disappointed in you, what you need in your life, the focus does not need to be on better behavior. The focus needs to be on more submission to God and more resisting the devil. That when you feel that temptation coming against your soul, you say, no devil, I'm not going down that route again. No devil, you can't have my ears right now. You can't have my eyes right now. No devil, I'm not going to eat that. No devil, I'm not going to watch that. No, 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 no. And the Bible says when you resist the devil, the devil will flee. Oh, come on, word of life. How many of you are going to make a decision today? No more, no more, no more will I be defeated out of silence. I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to bring the hero into the story. And I am going to resist the devil in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you all over this place. Father, we come before you today. And we thank you at both campuses. We just make this decision to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus. We come before you, Father, and today we just thank you for your freedom and your deliverance. Now, all over the room with heads bowed, eyes closed, all over this place, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Joel, I want to submit to God today. That that may be like that young man I talked about at the beginning of this message. 
Over the past couple of weeks, days, months, there has been bad behavior. And out of that bad, maybe you have been disappointed in yourself. Maybe you have wounded yourself. Maybe you have hurt yourself. And God is saying, you see bad, I see hurt. You see you need more whatever, I see you need more me. And I want you to make room for me in your life. And today is the beginning of that process. If that's you and you say, Pastor Joe, that's me. I want to submit to God. I want to give myself to God. Maybe it is for the first time. Or you know what, for many of us, maybe this is like the 400th time. But you just say, Pastor Joe, I want to bring my life back to the altar so God can alter it. If you're here at our Highland Colony location or here at Lakeland, if that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you. The Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. I want you to do something. Right now, no one's looking around, but if that's you, I want you to lift your hand and surrender to Jesus all over the room, all over there. Hands going up all over the room, all over the room, all over the room. At Highland Colony, hands going up all over the room. Highland Colony, thank you, Lord Jesus. Here at Lakeland, hands going up. Amazing. Even online, if that's you, we don't have to see your hand. God sees your hand. If you're there and you just need to submit to Jesus today, Just lift your hand right where you're at. Thank you, Lord. Now, everybody, at all of our locations, just pray this prayer with me. You can repeat it after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come in to your presence, and I give you not perfection. I give you myself. It is by your grace that I am saved. And so, Father... I thank you. You saved me. You saved me, Father. You saved me. Not just for heaven, but you saved me from any addiction and bondage in this earth. Lord Jesus, I submit to you. You be Jesus. Save me. I thank you, Lord, for it. And right now, Father, I proclaim victory over my life, over my family, over my finances, over my health. I proclaim victory. No longer will I be held by any past sin. Sin, you take your hands off me, off my family. I resist you in Jesus' name. And I say boldly, my best days are beginning right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate, everyone. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate.